0: That lovely, lovely recording in progress. Mm. Welcome to movies,
1: movies, movies.
0: This is Bruce Cassava from Movies, Movies, Movies on F.B.I. You're about to listen to a conversation between me and critic-turned-screenwriter Nick Pinkerson about his new movie, The Sweet East.
1: Years ago, I read a quote from the great English, sort of all-purposes critic, but mostly known as a theater critic, Ken Tynan. And he said something to the effect of i'm paraphrasing badly that criticism is something that can you know that has a shelf life and that you can really only be a full time critic for i think the uh the outlier that he gave was ten years, and I don't ever have any intention of ceasing to write about films, but I have observed that even the best film writers tend to start repeating themselves after a certain amount of time. And I don't think I'm exempt from that at all. I think I had always some kind of idea that I'd like to change up my relationship to the medium Mm -hmm. and that being able to do that, you know, would not only hopefully kind of keep me interested, but also give me some perspective on filmmaking that I'd previously been lacking. And I've been at it for over 10 years, maybe in my full-time freelance practice that totaled about a decade. But sometime back, I, I had it in the back of my head that it would probably behoove me if I was going to continue to be effective as a writer or to bring forward some observations that weren't just reheated, you know, decade-old observations that I I needed to kind of change up my practice a little bit.
0: Yes, I wonder what kind of severance package critics get, do you think, after 10 years? <laughs>
1: Well, um, if you've if you've never actually been employed, <laughs> uh it may surprise you to learn that the severance package is not
0: quite the golden parachute uh that you know one might like. Yes. But in those ten years, you have kind of been able to assess quite a bit, I imagine. And I can only imagine how that would um have helped you or aided you in the kind of your perspective in writing The Sweet East. I found while watching it, you seem to be very uh, fluent in American social illiteracy, in a way. Um, all these kind of people on the fringe who kind of can't come together in the middle, per se. Why well, kind of write something about this kind of... I mean, where where does this idea come from?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of it came from just observing a ever-escalating lunacy, uh, this sort of ambient lunacy, Um, and wanting to kind of find something that would be able to perhaps distill some of that. And, you know, just kind of, to use a phrase I've probably used too many times already, but to just sort of take the temperature of uh, things a little bit. And I mean, I think, yeah, obviously the milieu is specifically American, but you know, as I don't think we have any monopoly on social illiteracy uh, or uh, sort of divisiveness taken to such a point where there are people living in close contact practically with one another who may as well be on different
0: planets or in different solar systems. Taking the temperature, would you say we're kind of on the hotter end of scale of the thermometer or uh, where they're looking at the moment?
1: well i will say this when i wrote the first draft of the screenplay which would have been finished probably in spring or summer of 2017 uh and a lot of the kind of basic structural elements didn't change much from that point on what did actually you know change was there were various aspects of the screenplay which seemed far-fetched at the time when i was writing that first draft and as the years passed uh i felt like oh i actually like reality has gotten so much more insane that you know something that was a bit perhaps over the top uh or burlesqued mm-hmm. like two years earlier now has to be pushed further in order to kind of keep up with the lunacy of current events.
0: I would say that um you do quite push it, but I don't think it's ever out of this world in a sense, but it does have this whole feeling of this kind of such a ease with it, looseness, and it kind of seems like it's coming together as I was watching it, you know, as if you were writing it still. I think
1: a lot of that has to be credited to Sean, who has a documentary background and, you know, he's, you know, has a diversity of styles as a cameraman. But I think one of the things that distinguishes his work so much is that it does have that feeling of unfolding before you. And this is part of what made it. You know, in addition to the fact, of course, that I have a long uh, relationship with Sean as friends, but part of what made it a alluring prospect is knowing that myself, I'm a somewhat more orderly person uh, as a writer and, you know, I hope fairly attentive to uh, sort of structural issues and, you know, things about sort of cadence from scene to scene. Uh, but that Sean would insert a sensibility that is much more intuitive than my own um, and take something that might have been uh, a little dry or schematic and kind of open it up and break it up open a little bit. And then too, I mean, an enormous amount of credit for that goes to our entire cast, but I think especially Talia Ryder um who i think gave so much more depth to these characters than they had on the page um and i mean this really goes across the board but i have to always single out talia by virtue of the fact that she's in every scene of the movie and it really sinks or swims on the basis of her performance and i could not be more grateful that it is her Who took on that burden.
0: Yeah, she strikes a real interesting middle between being already jaded and totally naive. Are you familiar with this quote from a great social scholar of our times, Timothy Chalamet, who once said, uh, uh when a young person when you're a young person you're kind of shopping for your personality. I think he said this on some W Mag interview or something like that. And I really must have felt that of course Lily in the film is searching Lillian in from someone searching for her uh personality in a way or rather something to believe in. Yeah I I fine. think that's I'm sorry I didn't I didn't mean to interrupt you just no no, no 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 please.
1: I think To some degree, certainly. I think part of what Lillian is doing is, I mean, she is a very spontaneous character. And a lot of the decisions that she makes when she is making decisions pertaining to, you know, where she's going to go next, they're really just sort of based on novelty and convenience. And then when a situation ceases to provide either of those things, she, you know, cuts and runs. To my mind, she's never really particularly seduced by any of the ideologies placed in front of her. And what she does manage to do, uh, the character at least, is sort of run these uh, more or less successful uh, bait and switch kind of operations, and allows. Uh, the various interlocutors that she runs into to try to bring her into their world. But there's always a kind of force field that she keeps up around herself. And I mean, as I think, you know, a lot of people can attest to from experience, that kind of withholding often has the effect of making that withholding party all the more kind of compelling to the person who's trying to bring them in. And, yeah, I mean, uh, I think the what you said about that sort of combination of naivety and also kind of caginess and canniness, uh, I think that's dead bang on the money. And I'm glad if that came across.
0: Yeah, she's like a real scene freelancer, if you will. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, um, which I'm also curious about, has this been a long time coming for uh, you and Sean? In terms of having known each other for so long but now you're really kind of having both your um professional work fused into one project of i guess everything you guys have talked about over the years of knowing each other in a way
1: this was not the first thing that i wrote with sean in mind um but it was sean who kind of dragged me into trying to write for the screen yeah i'd been in a film production program Many years ago, uh, and then took a, you know, fourteen-year-old, uh, fourteen-year kind of digressive uh, like sideline into uh, writing about films. But it was you know it was Sean who first approached me about trying to write something for him to direct, and subsequently I've you know, written two and a half other screenplays, two on my own. Uh, and one co-written with Dustin Guy Defay, whose uh, movie is in fact at uh, the festival in Melbourne. Um, and you know it's rather early in the game, but I think there's a mutual desire to, you know keep the band together and uh, and uh, you know, get get something else out there into the world. but it's all sort of contingent, of course on, you know, the
0: the impact
1: or lack thereof that this thing has.
0: This, uh, I think it will, it will have kind of an impact. I mean, I just think you guys have a very interesting sort of um, energy kind of strike between being vigorously new and also, I mean we shot
1: the film in two halves one which is our sort of winter fall half which we shot in let's see october november of 2021 and then we shot our spring summer material in may of 2022 uh that alone is just absolutely stupid <laughs> and Beyond that, we shot as nearly as possible every location for the location that, you know, it was meant to be taking place in. So we shot in Baltimore, we shot in Philadelphia, we shot on the banks of the Delaware River, we shot in New York, we shot upstate altogether i think six states the district of columbia and all five boroughs of new york city though of course not all that material is in there so among other things uh if you know if nothing else i would hope that this serves as some kind of object lesson in like what you can do when you have a cast and crew who are very much on the same side that there's a sort of mutual enthusiasm about the project and when you have the sort of leeway to do things that you're not supposed to do um and not you know cut corners and fake places for you know something that they're actually not I, you know if 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 it has that effect at all it's you know seeming like uh, it provides some kind of viable alternate Practice then, great.
0: Um, I'm very curious about Cincinnati, Ohio. I don't know. I I had the feeling on watching it as if you're kind of like a second teenhood in a way. This film.
1: Yeah, I mean, I will say, it certainly draws at times from. I won't say directly from my experience. There are little odds and ends. Uh, here. Um. But the impetus for the thing was really just thinking about what it would be to be a young person, you know, right now or, you know, within the last you know few years and trying to negotiate uh, the world that uh, adults have constructed for you or deconstructed for you and I was to do that halfway effectively certainly I was you know, going to think about you know my own experiences of isolation alienation etc cetera, etc cetera, things that are very common I think to teenagers everywhere but then to I think it's it's Talia's performance that takes it out of the realm of the abstract and gives it a real sort of concreteness and the fact that, we were able to find an actress who is roughly the age of the character, um, but is also so so intelligent and so poised and so fundamentally incapable of being boring on screen and that she could sort of bring herself uh, or parts of herself to uh, the role. Again, uh, and I know this is all, it, when I was, a journalist, it was always like the thing that would be the uh well, I still I, I suppose am, but when I was doing interviews, I always just when somebody starts praising the people that they work with, you know, God, that's so fucking boring. Nobody wants to hear it at all. That's just an awful copy. But uh yeah, now that I'm on the other end, uh I just will have to, you know, surrender to my uh desire to sing sing the it's whole natural, team in fact. This guy. Yeah.
0: Yes. You think the kids are all right?
1: Uh, um, I don't know that the kids have ever really been all right. I do think that there is the all-pervasive air of impending apocalypse, uh, which is sort of pressed on young people at all fronts, has to have a pretty deleterious like mental toll. And it has one on me as well. But I have the luxury of being, in all likelihood, at least halfway through my natural natural lifespan. You're uh, not going
0: to so... live to see the tricentennial. Yeah, <laughs> that, <laughs> that, that,
1: that does not seem fair. <laughs> um, but I mean, yeah, it, it. Whatever one may think about the finished result, I do feel like the origin of this project was just a sense of deep fucking concern about, you know, the the fucking rocky shoals of contemporary existence that a young person has to negotiate. You know, obviously it's done in a rather sharper register than uh, most people's uh, experience would be, most young people's experience would be, but it does come from a place of genuine concern. One of the one of the things that sort of pops into my mind all the time is the last Pasolini interview, where uh, he gives the journalist a uh, title for the interview, and it's "We Are All in Danger," <laughs> which could almost be like a alternate title.
0: It could be. I'm uh, I'm also curious to hear your thoughts on um, just the uh, art form of cinema, and uh, kind of uh, what it, what it's kind of. Leaning more toward, I mean, uh, in his Instagram account, Francis Ford Coppola mentioned in the story how hopeful he is for um the the theaters and 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 the art form. Uh, I wonder what if you share any sentiments.
1: I try to remain hopeful. I mean, to me, what is in trouble now is what, for lack of a better term, I will call popular cinema, which has more or less totally been subsumed by uh, these like, tenpole megaliths. And there are many other, of course, strands of cinema that I would consider to be perfectly healthy. Uh, they tend to be uh, kinds of cinema that don't require an enormous amount of monetary investment, um, you know, experimental film, uh, nonfiction, documentary, uh, whatever you want to call it. Um, I don't think across the board that there is a crisis. I do feel a rather extreme feeling of uh, alienation toward you know, the multiplex film as it presently exists, and that's something that's deeply saddening to me because that was, you know, my point of entry into all of this was you know a popular cinema Mm. and i would be greatly grieved to think that the kind of film that most people think about when they think about movies which are like narrative feature length films uh is going to completely um be overwhelmed by uh the pole. because it seems like all of that sort of middle ground has uh fallen away and i mean it's and, kind yeah, of it's like a prospect
0: the, your uh film in a way these kind of fringed groups at two ends of the extreme or every extreme and there's nothing much in the middle it kind of feels like mm-hmm. this, i guess reflected in the thematics of your own movie
1: yeah that's i mean that's interesting i mean it is i mean there is uh, some sense of just the absence of any kind of uh, mainstream consensus work uh, that uh, crosses the aisles, which is, I don't know, you, you'll forgive me, I'm blathering slightly, I'm still 16 hours away
0: right now. Yeah, no, you're still uh, stateside, that's fine. But, um, yeah, I don't know, I, I, I brought up kind of the state of cinema in a way because something, of course... Being um a, a a film critic and and filmmaker myself, it's kind of always um a question of if it's something dying or struggling to be born in a way. Um,
1: I mean, I think to to Mr. Coppola's point, I have you know I have no opinion about Barbie or Oppenheimer whatsoever. Um, just neither particularly are uh, calling my name. I. Do hold out hope, however, that what we are presently experiencing is not what we are going to be seeing in perpetuity. And already, some sort of fault lines are showing in the the model that has been prevalent for a number of years now. Where, you know, lo and behold, if you're dumping near on three hundred million dollars into a movie you're not going to consistently make back that money even if you're working with kind of well-established uh ip and you know um no no art form that has ever existed has completely disappeared from the world and i don't think that cinema of uh all things is going to be the first one to just evaporate in a puff of smoke as to you know precisely what uh allows us to sort of weather these trying times i'm not sure but you know i'm not totally cassandra-ish about you know the, the possibilities uh, going forward i mean if i was then i wouldn't be out here pimping our movie right now or <laughs> talking to you um i'm still trying to fight the good
0: fight and um this weekend you're uh this is it this weekend. You're on a panel talk with uh, some other filmmakers. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think one of them is um, Christopher Goldbreadson. Mm. When you uh, see him, can you please tell him for me your nanny says hello.
1: Okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm making a note of
0: this right now. Thank you very much.
1: All right. That's funny.
0: This podcast is produced by FBI Radio in Sydney. Find more at fbiradio.com slash podcasts.